This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Now today we're going to discuss a topic that is not easy to discuss, but it's something that Jesus mentioned many times in his lifetime, and that we need to be prepared for in order to avoid. You know, when you hear the word hell, what do you think of? Well, a lot of people think of what the cartoons depict hell to be. A place where the devil is in control and he puts you where he, he thinks you deserve to be and you have to work in this hot and fiery abode. I remember when I was growing up, Yosemite Sam went to hell because he did something bad, but he got out. Well, maybe you slide in or suddenly appear, you know, the cartoons, many television shows, movies make hell to be a comical place. You hear people talking about hell on earth. There is nothing on earth that is comparable to hell. You know, hell is depicted as a place maybe where bad people go, like Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, people bad like that. But God tells us through his word There is no comedy in hell. There's nothing funny about hell. There's nothing on earth that compares to hell. And God has tried to warn us of this terrible place called hell. But it seems that people just don't really realize how horrible hell will really be. And people are headed straight into the bowels of hell because of the lifestyles that they're living. And they seem completely unconcerned about it. So today we want to look at the title, What is the Truth About Hell? Well, the first question we want to ask is, is hell real? Does it really exist. Well, the Greek word for hell is Gehenna, and it's found 12 times in the New Testament. Jesus used it 11 times. James used it once. And through the lesson, we're going to look at all of the times that are used, but we want to look, first of all, just a few times. First, Jesus in Matthew 5.22 says this, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, fear God. In Matthew 23:33, Matthew 23:33, Jesus there says, 
Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? And then James uses the word over in James chapter 3, verse 6. James chapter 3, verse 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. So Jesus plainly declares it, James plainly declares it, so the Bible plainly declares hell is real. It's not some imaginary place made up by someone. It is a real place. Well, then we need to ask the next question. Why does hell exist? Why is there this place that is called hell? In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus gives us the reason. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. It says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, <clears throat> Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we see why hell was prepared. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. The word prepare there, the Greek word there says means to make ready or prepare. So hell was made ready for the devil and his angels. And God wants all human beings to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. It says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the devil was, uh, excuse me, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, and God doesn't want anyone to go there. You know, hell wasn't prepared for mankind, but the Bible plainly tells us that the majority will go there. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. That would be into eternal punishment or hell. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, out of the vast majority that have ever lived on this earth, or ever will live on this earth, most are headed for destruction, because they will not obey what God has commanded. So in other words, Hell is a prepared place for an unprepared people. So we know that it's real. We know why it exists. But what's it like? What is hell like? Well, in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, that we just looked at a while ago, Matthew twenty-five forty-one says, 
Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The word everlasting, the Greek word there, Thayer defines this way, without end, never to cease, everlasting everlasting fire, fire that never ends. Now you think about putting your hand maybe accidentally on a, a hot stove or maybe accidentally getting it into a fire somehow, and you think about how quickly you want to get that hand or whatever part of your body out. Well, this fire never ends. The people who go to hell Never get out of the fire. In Luke chapter 3, verse 17. Luke chapter 3, verse 17. John the baptizer here is speaking and he says of Jesus, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. Strong says that that word unquenchable comes from a Greek word that means this. Not extinguished. That is by implication perpetual. Fire that never goes out. Fire that the individuals who go there are constantly engulfed in. You know, over in Luke chapter 16, we find the rich man there, but he's not in hell. You know, the King James Version mentions that he is in hell, verse 23, in hell he lift up his eyes, but the Greek word there is Hades. He's in the Hadean realm in a place that is called torments, and Lazarus is in the part of Hades, the Hadean world called Abraham's bosom, or as Jesus called it when he spoke to the thief on the cross, when he said it is paradise. Again, the Hadean world is the realm of unseen spirits. The Hadean realm is not heaven, and it is not hell. It is the holding place for the dead until the day the Lord comes again, or the resurrection occurs. And then at the judgment, we will receive our final reward or punishment, and then either heaven or hell will be our eternal abode according to the way that we have lived in accordance with the word of God. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15, John said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. <clears throat> and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Again, the word translated hell here in the King James Version is Hades. So death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. 
And they were judged every man according to their works and death, and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, we've seen it is everlasting fire, but it is also a lake of fire. You imagine being engulfed in fire, a lake of fire. Now, the rich man does give us some insight of his state of abode in Hades there in Luke 16, 24. It says, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. You see right there, there is torment in Hades and torment. But you think about it, the rich man was there then, the rich man is still there. And you think about that, that the rich man is experiencing is the best he will ever experience. Because now he's looking forward or toward that lake of fire, that everlasting fire. You see, hell is much worse than what that rich man is enduring now and those that are in torments in Hades. Hell is that place of eternal fire, but that's not all. Hell is a place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 12. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus there says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 22, verse 13, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. In a parable that Jesus said, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then in Matthew twenty-five thirty, Matthew twenty-five thirty, there in the parable of the talents. Jesus said there, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we think about this now, outer darkness. You may have experienced going down in a cave or something like that, and then suddenly, you know, we've done been on these guided tours in caves, and then suddenly... They say, stand still, don't move. We're going to turn out the lights. They turn out the lights, and you can't see anything. It's dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You can't see the person standing next to you. It's darkness. And there will be unfaithful Christians found in outer darkness, along with 
the rest of the unfaithful world. So you think about being forever trapped in total darkness and engulfed in eternal flame, in the lake of fire. Darkness and fire. We picture fire as something you can see. This is a different kind of fire. This is eternal fire. You know, when Jesus says there in Matthew 7, 23, depart from me ye that work iniquity, this is the last time the wicked will see anything that is good, upright, and lovely. And hell being that place of outer darkness, it will be the last time the wicked see anything except in their mind's eye. You see, in the mind's eye, everything will be very clear. They will see their lost opportunities to obey God and have heaven as their eternal abode. They will see themselves enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season instead of being obedient to God's will enjoying the pleasures of this life, the pleasures of sin, those things that so easily beset us over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says there, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, that be the pleasures of this life and things like that, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. They're going to see themselves allowing sin to come in the way of heaven. They will see themselves maybe once faithful and then falling away. They had it and they lost it. They will see their loved ones following the same path to destruction as they did and knowing that they helped lead them. Their mother, their father, their children, their brothers, their sisters, their spouses, their best friends into that same place of torment. You see, to the eye of the resurrected body, hell is a place of outer darkness. But in the mind's eye, all will be very clear. So we see heaven as a, or excuse me, hell as a place of eternal fire, outer darkness, but also weeping. Weeping and wailing that comes from the tortured mouths of those who would give anything for just one more chance. One more opportunity. Weeping and wailing from the pain and the agony and knowing there's no hope. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, 
Hebrews 9.27. It says there, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, there are no second chances. We have one opportunity to get this life right. Don't mess it up. Don't mess this one opportunity up. So we see hell as a place of eternal fire, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing, oh, weeping, and now it is also a place of the gnashing of teeth. Gnashing or grating teeth in extreme pain shows extreme anguish, utter despair, never-ending gnashing of teeth that only stops in periods of weeping and wailing. So we're looking back. Hell, a place of eternal fire, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and a place where the worm does not die. In Mark chapter 9, Look at verses 43 through 48. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48. Jesus says here, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, what is this worm? Worm is translated from the Greek word skalex. It means literally a maggot. But metaphorically, the word means gnawing anguish. Robertson's word pictures describes this way. The worm, for example, that preys upon the inhabitants of this dread realm, two bold figures of Gehenna, that being hell, combined the gnawing worm, the burning flame. No figures of Gehenna can equal the dread reality which is here described. And it says, see Isaiah 66, 24. So let's turn over to Isaiah 66, verse 24, and see what it says there. It says, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. <coughs> So what, what is Jesus describing here? What is he saying? Well, our hands, our feet, our eyes 
are very important to us. But what is he describing? Things that are important to us in this life. You know, what is this thing in our lives or these things in our lives that are going to lead us away from God? Could it be family? Sometimes we have to cut off family. Could it be our job? Sometimes we may have to cut off that job. May it be friends? We need to cut them friends off if they're trying to lead us away. Things that are most important to us in this life, if they're going to lead us away from heaven and send us into hell, we need to cut them out of our lives. And then that gnawing anguish. There will be an eternal gnawing anguish that comes from knowing that we had many opportunities to obey God's will and we refused. And then there is also the eternal anguish that comes with knowing there's no hope ever to leave hell. It's everlasting. No hope ever to leave hell. So if anything that is near and dear to you that is extremely important to you, it's leading you astray, get him, her, or it out of your life. It's not worth it. So hell is a place to be avoided at all cost. Count the cost. Is your life, is my life, the things that we're doing in this life, are they worth enjoying for a season and being eternally in hell? In Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, God gives us one of the most comprehensive pictures of hell. Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. It says, And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, you go back and look at the imagery, it's talking about worshiping false gods. The same, these who worship false gods, oh yeah, don't, let's don't remember, these are not just idols, these are the gods that we put ahead of God in our lives. This is what he says. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Again, those who are unfaithful. There's more here about hell is describing. It's God's pure wrath that is extended upon the unfaithful. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. In other words, they never burn up. That's the immortal body. No rest, day nor night. Now again, put all these things together. Eternal fire, fire and brimstone we see here. 
weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness never stops. Never stops. The sinner is going to be forced into a face-to-face -face situation between himself and God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 2 Corinthians 5.10 Paul says there, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We are going to receive what we have done. In Romans chapter 14, look at verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You see in that verse, we're either going to bow the knee to God in this life, or we're going to bow the knee to God on the judgment day. If we bow the knee to God, in other words, being humble to, for him and obeying his will, then we'll receive heaven as a reward. But if we don't bow the knee before him now and obey him now, we are going to bow the knee before him on judgment, and it will be too late. So we've seen hell is real. We've seen why it's here. We've seen what hell is like. Well, who will be in hell? Who will be in hell? Well, that answer is all whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That could be family. That could be friends, acquaintances, loved ones. That could be me. Revelation 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, 8, Revelation 21, 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, there are a lot of different verses or passages that we could go to in the Bible that speak of the sin in this world. You know, the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Uh, sins that are mentioned there in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Ephesians 5, 3, 1 Corinthians 6. There are many places, but let's focus on this passage or this verse here in Revelation 21.8. First of all, it mentions the fearful, the Greek word delos. Strong says that word means dread, timid, that is by implication, 
faithless. The fearful are those who lack courage to take their stand for the word of God and contend with the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the ones who stay quiet while facing persecution. These are the ones who deny Christ when facing these uncomfortable situations in life. Whenever mom or dad or a friend says something about the church or Christ or the Bible, that's wrong and we just stay silent. We're fearful. We're faithless. How often are we afraid to maybe denounce sin because the sinner is influential or the sinner is our friend, the sinner is our spouse? Well, maybe we don't want to hurt their feelings or make them mad at, make them mad at us. Maybe we're afraid of running them off. But how do you think they'll feel when they're enduring the horrors of hell? And we don't give them an opportunity to obey God? Mark 8:38. Jesus has some things to say about that. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we are ashamed to speak up for God, for Christ, if we're fearful to do that now, He's going to be ashamed of us on the judgment day. You see, we must stand bold for the word of the Lord and follow his commands and love the sinner enough to try to save his soul. Let's not love him into hell. Let's try to love him into heaven. Stop now for a minute. Think of those who've gone on to their grave already. Did we do anything to help show them the way of salvation? Do we hope to see them in heaven? Or is all hope gone for them? But now think of those who still are alive. Those that have that opportunity to obtain eternal life. They may not have much time left on this earth. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. But will we now do something to help them? The next thing that is mentioned there in Revelation 21.8 is the unbelieving. The unbelieving will be in hell. The unbelieving, uh, they deny the truth. They resist all evidence of God, Christ, the Bible, the church. You know, the Israelites who came up out of Egypt <coughs> could not take the land of Canaan because their unbelief obstructed their way. They felt they were like grasshoppers. We can't do anything. No, God was on their side. But they rejected God. And the vast multitude of them died in the wilderness. In Hebrews chapter 3, going along with this, look at verses 17 to 19. Hebrews chapter 3, 
verses 17 to 19. The writer says, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Talking about those that forty-year wilderness wandering. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see then they could not enter in because of unbelief. And in Hebrews 11:6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. <coughs> well, the next group that will be in hell are the abominable. That includes those who are polluted with unnatural lust and are guilty of nameless vice. Well, who, who are those who are an abomination to God? Well, Proverbs 15.9 gives one example. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 9. It says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. But he that loveth him that followeth, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. All right, so the word, the verse says, the way of the wicked. Well, the word way there, Strong's defines the Hebrew word this way. A road as trodden, figuratively a course of life or mode of action. So it's the course of life of the wicked. The word wicked here, Strong's defines that Hebrew word as morally wrong, concretely an actively bad person. And it says they are an abomination. Strong's again, definition of the Hebrew word, properly something disgusting, morally. That is, as a noun, an abhorrence, especially idolatry, or concretely an idol. Now you think about an abomination. Whenever, in a, in a little book, and it's very, if you like history, this is a good book to read. It's called The Discovery of Conquest and Conquest of Mexico by Bernal Diaz. Bernal Diaz was one of Cortez's foot soldiers who went over into Mexico with him in the early 1500s. Well, the Spaniards had never seen some of the sites that they were about to see. One of those was human sacrifice. And Bernal Diaz described the priests and that sacrifice as an abomination to the Spaniards. You see, he, said, he described the priest as having hair down to their ankles totally matted with blood. And in description of the sacrifice, the human sacrifice, the sacrificial being would be carried up to the top of one of these pyramids. They had an obsidian knife, the priest did, and while that person was still alive would cut open his chest cavity and pull out his heart while it is still beating. You know, that was an abomination to the Spaniard. Well, that would be an abomination to God as well. Now, the next thing that is mentioned in Revelation 21.8 is murderers. Murderers will be in hell. 
You know, human life is taken so lightly. People are killed for as trivial things as their shoes. But those who perform, again, abortion, the torture and execution of innocent unborn children will have an eternity to think about what they did in this life. You see, we need to go out and teach people, not bomb clinics or shoot abortion doctors. They need to be taught what the truth is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, we have another example of murder. 1 John 3, 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You see, put this comparison. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. You're no better than an abortionist. Put it that way. Well, another group that is mentioned that will be in hell are whoremongers and fornicators. It's the same thing there will be in hell. Thayer defines the word translated whoremongers this way. A man who prostitutes his body to another's lust for hire. A male prostitute. A male who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse. A fornicator. Adam Clark describes the word this way. Adulterers, fornicators, whores, prostitutes, and rakes of every description. The word rake there means wretch. So what are we looking at? Adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, bestiality, pornography, etc., etc., will be in hell. And then he mentions sorcerers. Sorcerers will be in hell. Strong says that word sorcerers in the Greek means this. A drug that is spell-giving potion. A druggist, pharmacist, or poisoner that is, by extension, a magician. Well, the word sorcerer is a generic term that includes all who attempt to indulge in divination. Someone who tries to put spells on others and things such as that. And devil worship would be included in that as well. Uh, your Wiccans, things such as that. Another group that will be in hell are idolaters, those who worship the creature instead of the creator, ascribing to things and persons properties and honors that belong only to God. But then also, anything is an idol that takes the place of God in our affections. Anything is an idol. You know, money, or excuse me, the miser makes money as God. Covetousness. Sometimes parents make their children their God, or vice versa. There are a lot of other things we place in our lives where God should be, and when we do that, that is an idol to us. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, we've already mentioned covetousness, but let's go read this. 
Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence or desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. The coveting of things is idolatry. And then he mentions all liars will be in the lake of fire. All right, what are these lies? Well, there are many different ways that people lie. One, first one we're going to look at is the misstatement of facts. In other words, saying something we know is not true. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. This is Cain speaking here, and he said something he knows isn't true. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Did Cain know where Abel was? Absolutely. He knew where that murdered, lifeless body of Abel was. That's a misstatement of fact. Another way that people lie is twisting words. In other words, making a person say something that he did not say. Mark 16, 16 is an example of that. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, we have those that try to say you know, that baptism has nothing at all to do with salvation. They say that, well, Jesus didn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized will be damned. That's twisting Jesus' words, making him say something he didn't say. Then there's twisting the truth. Twisting the truth is clever wording to make a lie out of a fact. Look at Matthew 26, verses 59 to 61. Matthew 26, 59 to 61. says, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at the last came two witnesses and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Did Jesus say that? Yeah. He was talking about his body, the resurrection of his body, not the destruction of the temple. So, clever wording to make a lie out of a fact. Oh, then there's those half-truths. Part of the truth disguised as the whole truth. An example of that is Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. Genesis 12, 11 to 13. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter Egypt, that is Abraham, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. 
that it may be well with me for thy sake, that my soul shall live because of thee. Well, in verses 17 to 20, says the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister, so that I might have taken her to wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. Well, Sarai, Sarai was his half-sister, but that's only half a truth. You see, a half-truth is nothing but a whole lie. Then you have another form of lying is exaggerating or enlarging something beyond the bounds of truth. You know, it seems like people always associate that with fishermen. Yeah, this five-ounce fish I caught weighed five pounds and five ounces, 37 inches long instead of two inches long, whatever crafty questions. Creating doubt and unwarranted suspicion is another way. You know, you know, the question, are you still beating your wife? You see, that creates doubt and unwarranted suspicion. Uh, you think about men that are accused of sexual abuse, and it turns out not to be true. Same thing. Slandering uttering false charges to damage someone's reputation, saying something that is not true to try to hurt someone's reputation. And then insinuations, making statements which leave untrue impressions. You know, an insinuation. Well, I saw Don Boy drive by that liquor store the other day. Well, what's the insinuation that I stopped in? Well, you know what? I've driven by a lot of liquor stores and I've never stopped. But that's an insinuation. Oh, and then there's silence. Withholding information to hide the truth. Flattery. Insincere and excessive praise from the motive of self-interest. You know, I had a man tell me one time whenever I was preaching at a, at a congregation, he gave me a call one day and he said, you know, you and I are the, probably the two that know the most about the scriptures and the Bible. Now, there are some others that know a little bit, but you and I are probably the ones that know the best. Oh, <laughs> a red flag went up so fast. That's nothing but flattery. Oh, and then quotation, making another person do your lying for you. An example, well, you know, in Matthew 28, 12 to 13, we have that example. Matthew 28, 12 to 13, where it mentions there about those guards that were around the tomb of Jesus. When they were assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, See, ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Let's get somebody else to do your lying for you, but let's bring that a little bit more update. If so-and-so calls, tell him I'm not home. That's getting someone else to do your lying for you. You have white lies. Lies a hypocrite has tried to whitewash. Uh, no, that dress doesn't make you look fat. You, whatever. Adding to the word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Add thou not to his word, lest thou be found a liar. A person that says he has not sinned, 
First John 1, 8 to 10. If we say we sin, haven't sinned, then we lie and the truth's not in us. One who claims to know God and does not obey. First John chapter 2, verse 4. First John chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Truth's not in him. And then one says he loves God and hates his brother. 1 John 4, 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? It all boils down. Mankind tries to make hell a place that we can laugh at, think it's humorous, everybody else is going there. But God who is the preparer, the maker of hell, tells quite a different story. Hell is real. Hell is a place of outer darkness where wailing and gnashing of teeth are always there, present by its inhabitants who are always engulfed in eternal flame. With that, there is their everlasting gnawing anguish over the missed opportunities and failures to obey God. The vast majorities of those who have ever lived on this earth will be eternally in hell. Hell is a place to be avoided at all cost. Now, I want to end the lesson with this quote from Wendell Winkler. He stated this, and I quote, Hell is a place where men always die, yet never die. Never live, but always live. Hell is a place where men live forever, but there is no hope for which to live. Well, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you again for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Very, very enlightening subject that we need to make sure that we stay away out of hell. We look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.